0: the countries that actually get more data and more scale will win in AI. And that's really what this conversation's about. And we have different laws on data and data privacy, and that is gonna prevent us from getting fine-tuned information in AI. Uh, Let's be honest, right? Most companies are saying they offer AI. Yes, they have that capability. The problem is you don't have enough data.
1: Welcome B2B startups, changeups, scaleups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. My guest today is Ray Wong. He is the founder and chairman and Principal Analyst at Silicon Valley-based Constellation Research, which studies disruptive business and exponential technology trends. He is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and I've known him for like 15 years, but I've never actually met him because he's everywhere online. Uh, Ray, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Hey, Eric, thanks a lot for having me. So great to get you on the show here.
1: So talk to me about like, just in the last you know 18 months, how things have changed for you just from a lifestyle standpoint? Because I know you were like, you know, a jet setter going from conference to conference and talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic sort of impacted your life. You know, it's a great question, right?
0: We always worked from home. That was not a big thing for us, but we always had places to go and not having places to go over the last year has been quite, Interesting. I mean, around this time last year, we were planning our ambient experience summit where we brought together about 150 marketers and customer experience folks together in Atlanta at the Porsche Speedway. So, you know, we're doing the whole thing. You do the Porsche test drives. We're talking about the future of experience, what was happening with marketing, marketing ops, analytics, customer experience. And that was honestly the last major event a lot of our friends went to. I mean, this is the end of February. And so it's, been a lot of time of introspection. Uh, I mean, I've done everything everyone else has done. I've, I've learned how to make bread. I mean, I've, you know, I've learned how to, you know, we've, we're dealing with homeschooling. I've uh, cleaned up the basement, built a home studio, uh, built a gazebo, wrote a book. Uh, I mean, So, so it's, we haven't run out of things to do, but it's definitely different than being able to meet people, have these kind of conversations in the hallway. I mean, this is the next best thing, right? I mean, listening to the podcast, catching up on conversations, hearing what people think, but but that fidelity of actually and the serendipity of actually meeting people, oh, I miss that. I mean, that's One thing I miss is just connecting with people and just catching up with them.
1: So if we were inoculated and we had herd immunity and you were planning that same event at the you know, Porsche Speedway today, what would the theme of that event be? Oh,
0: we're definitely talking about, you know, post-pandemic playbooks, right? What happens next? Uh, We'd be talking about, you know, building those digital and analog experiences. How do you actually, you know, make those work as people come into different phases? Uh, We talk about how people reconnect again, really thinking about brand and experiences. We'll talk about automation and AI and what roles they play, especially in marketing ops. We talk about what people are doing in terms of, you know, improving ABM and mass personal personalization at scale. I think all those things would be hot topics. And of course, we'd also talk about humanizing the world of digital and and what those digital ethics would look like.
1: In terms of account-based marketing, you know, everybody sort of has the same set of tools. So, I mean, how do you sort of break out of this sort of rote personalization that is so obviously automated and really, you know, be sensitive to buyers on a one-by-one basis?
0: Well, I'll make a few assumptions in this. Um, One, it's about B2B and account-based marketing. It's not about the B2C side. And and the reason I say this is very carefully, right? Let's be honest. And and this is going to get me a lot of trouble from all the vendors. Why do we have so many tools? It makes no freaking sense. I mean, think about this. You have a global 2,000 you are targeting. There are five to seven people. That's 10,000 people tops that you're going after. Think about it. That's 10,000 people. Okay? 10,000 people, you can't manage that in a spreadsheet? Like, what the heck is wrong with you? And if you were serious about marketing ops and ABM, you'd be like, okay, of those 10,000 people, really 6,000 are qualified. Okay, and of those 6,000, can I break those up into, I don't know, 100 territories? I I don't know. You want to go that far? Fine, right? 100 territories, 100 groups, 100 clusters. I mean, it's not that hard. So, so I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying we've overcomplicated everything with more technology. At a simple level, if you go to sales rep and you, and you got rid of territories, for example, and you said, you got a thousand chips, you can bet on these accounts to meet your quota. Which ones do you think you have the best relationships with? Go for it. You want to bet it all on one account and think you're going to hit your quota? Go for it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens on a reverse auction like that. I mean, we'd have a very different results. We'd understand the importance of building relationships. We understand in that marketing operation flow, how do we actually build and coordinate those capabilities across territories? We'd actually do a better job servicing clients, right? But right now, you got a random territory or, you know, the characters, you know, the name of the company starts with a Z, right? So you get this territory or you happen to be in like Northeast sector number five i mean like you don't even know the person on the other end right and 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 you can do some great things especially if you're in tech or if you're in other industries where there's still high margin i mean imagine like you you can just take out someone to dinner right once a quarter take someone out to dinner get to know them build that relationship it's 100 150 bucks a person i mean you're in indianapolis you can go to pre-feed dinner with a wine pairing for 150 dollars per person That customer acquisition cost is so low and you can build a relationship with less than a thousand dollar budget per lead. You can even build it for 500 per lead and still do well, right? Taking out, you know, catching up with someone, grabbing dinner, connecting with them, understanding the problem, getting a design session in place, you know, thinking about, you know, solutions, right? we're not doing that. That's what, that's what ABM, it drives me nuts. Everybody talks about that. we got this ABM Pro and we're spending millions. I'm like, why are you spending millions? Like what's going on here? Like, have you totally missed the point of, of relationships and marketing and account based approaches? So anyways, yeah, that's my little rant. <laughs> so. For
1: those companies that are doing well on the sort of person to person, direct sales, human interaction side, maybe legacy companies, maybe companies outside the tech bubble who, who don't know you and don't necessarily subscribe to analyst research, but realize that, you know, they got to pivot to digital at this point. I mean, the pandemic accelerated the digital transformation curve, and now everybody's got to get online because all business is digital business, and they just want to sort of get started, but they can't get their arms around it. Where do they start? How do they figure out how to pivot to a digital sales and marketing stack?
0: Well, you're first doing face, if you're still doing face-to-face, And that's a very essential part for selling, especially if you're in the mid-market, especially you're in places where trust is important, right? It's still about, right, form follows function. Digital is something that you do because you need to from a channel perspective, you need to from a business model perspective because you might not be able to reach, but you have to be smart about that. The relationship aspect, me checking in and seeing how you're doing, that doesn't change. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's in-person, whether it's on a video, that part doesn't change, the format might change, right? Um, If it's simple things like, you know, automated replenishment, um, the ability to actually order easily online. Of course, you want to make it as easy for the customer to buy something, connect with you, access your literature, get to the information you need. But then when it comes to the human element, you also want to be there. I mean, this is about choices. And and it's the same company might actually have, and the same industry and the person in the same role might have a different approach based on their ability to choose. I'll give an example. If I check into a Marriott Spring Hill Suites, I don't want to see the person at the desk. I want a key sent to my mobile device. I want to be able to open it. I want to be able to check out, order everything I need from a mobile device and never see a person. may I check in at the Ritz. I want to make sure there's a door person out there. I want to make sure someone offers me the beverage to drink and someone's out there smiling and welcoming me at the front desk. This the same person different approach, it depends on your company's brand, the perception, what you want to deliver. It depends what the customers want to be able to choose. They want to choose convenience or do they want to be able to choose that full service relationship? You have to offer both of these options. So going pure digital isn't necessarily going to solve your problem either, right? So that's part of it. And, you know, making sure you don't, you, if you're purely analog means you might not even be able to participate because you don't have a way to connect in a digital world. So both are going to be important. Offering choices are important, but let's figure out what the problem is that we're trying to solve first. And then we can figure out, you know, which technologies to apply.
1: If you want to make this the year you get good at lead generation, download my new white paper, 10 Essential Digital Marketing Skills to Master. Digital marketing is a broad discipline, and this white paper gives you an overview of the most important skills to develop in order of importance, and you can download it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash essential skills. Let's let's uh, switch gears and talk for a minute about AI. So do you think China's going to take the lead in AI? <laughs>
0: So it depends what part of AI. And the short answer is the countries that actually get more data and more scale will win in AI. And that's really what this conversation is about. And we have different laws on data and data privacy. And that is going to prevent us from getting fine-tuned information in AI. Uh, let's be honest, right? Most companies are saying they offer AI. Yes, they have that capability. The problem is you don't have enough data right? You don't have enough data to make a precision decision. And, and you know, you maybe you have like 20 sources for a certain account. Like, how do you know what they're going to do next? It's not enough information. Maybe you need 2 million sources to actually aggregate to say, oh, okay, now we have a pattern, right? But even then, that's not good enough. Well, I'll give you an example, like 90% accuracy in manufacturing, not a bad problem. I think it's actually pretty good. 90% accuracy in an industry that's regulated like healthcare or defense Heck no, you're gonna get your butt kicked and that doesn't work, right? I mean, even though your doctor might really only be at 87% accuracy, I mean, it's a machine, it's gotta do better, right? And and that's where the mentality is. And so the countries that have more data, more high quality data can deliver what we call signal intelligence. That signal intelligence is built on dynamic feedback loops. Those feedback loops bring everything together because that's the automated collection of information. And what you're really doing is testing. Every company is gonna ask these four questions in marketing. Ops, and in all parts of their CX processes. One, when do we fully intelligently automate? Okay, so everything's running on its own. Let's keep that process in it. Highly repetitive, lots of volume, things that have massive interaction, totally get it. The second one is when we're going to augment a machine with a human. And that's like, why did you make that exception? Why is, the, you're not following the rules? How come this is done differently than what was prescribed? That's the fine tuning. That's how we get the precision decisions in AI. The third part is How do we actually augment the human with a machine? How do we get the faster decisions, decision velocity? Humans make decisions one per second. We get them out of management committee in like four weeks and we still aren't undecided. Machines make a thousand decisions per second. How do you compete with that? That's massive asymmetry. So what can we do is get information to the front line so people can make faster decisions. And when are you going to trust human judgment? If you don't insert a human in the process the machines are going to realize we're lazy we make mistakes we're not consistent they're going to get rid of us no i'm just kidding no but the whole point is you got to have humans in the process and there are places where humans make a lot more sense things that are highly complicated right things that you can't model in math things that require creativity things that require physical presence that don't harm the lives of the individual there going you know, to definitely want human-directed processes. And so, is is China beating us in AI? The short answer is they can because they have their data aggregated much better. They've got a larger population of sources, and when you take edges, which is what make business graphs successful or social graphs successful, those edges are how we figure out patterns. The context, the location, the conversation, the process, the relationships, the people you're connected with, that's what drives our ability to get smarter about AI. And the more data you have that's high quality, that can be tied to each other, that's how we get to it. Now, that's why a lot of people are talking about surveillance capitalism and surveillance states and, you know, business grasp, you know, spying in on you. Totally understand, but that's how you make AI smarter.
1: So what do you think, uh, getting into the whole surveillance capitalism thing, um, do you think uh, AI could be the answer to making truth a ranking factor for search and social algorithms? You can, you can definitely do
0: it that way. The question is to, to what purpose uh, and, you know, are the data sources high quality? How do you weight those data sources? There's still a human element there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of tribal knowledge you can't replace. You know, there's a lot of things that you and I know from years of experiences and pattern recognition that we can say when something is off. What I'm more worried about is when we get to a date where we're not doing the repetitive tasks, they're all being automated and we have no freaking idea like what that means, right? We can't understand that pattern recognition. So while we say we're going to automate all these tasks, we also have to train ourselves as we go through that process so we can also identify patterns at a human scale as well. I mean, human scale is going to be super important.
1: What is the next disruptive technology to come that's off most people's radar?
0: I, I would say quantum for the most part because it seems still very abstract, um, because it's a new type of technology. There's conversations about qubits. Uh, qubits are about a new type of computing approach where is it really there or is it not really there? I mean, there's that kind of thing that that whole piece of juxtaposition. Does something exist or does it really not exist? I mean, I think that's going to change the way we look at models that we map out, um, new types of forecasting and probabilities. Um, you're going to see it used in terms of cracking crypto and, you know, cybersecurity, right? They're going to be used for these high compute, you know, p- models, right? Weather modeling is, is going to probably be done in those kind of systems, right? But it, it requires a different kind of approach, right? Not everybody's ready for it. And it, it's it's way out there but it seems closer than it than it really is. So,
1: What's your, any thoughts on the uh, um, Salesforce acquisition of Slack? You like that deal? So I think that's one of those
0: deals people fully don't understand. And at the risk of um, over-speculating, I don't think this deal is about work from home. I don't think this deal is about remote work. I think what this deal is about, is creating signal intelligence at the enterprise. What connects marketing cloud to sales cloud, to a user, to commerce cloud today? maybe a data model, but the interactions between users is missing. That signal intelligence is powering our ability to understand why certain things happen inside an organization. And companies like Microsoft have teams that serve the same purpose. That signal intelligence, once again, helps people understand that a person in this role accessing this document, using this object, applying this process, did it 15 times today along with someone else. And why did that happen? It allows you to start modeling what's inside the organization and it creates that business graph. And so I think that's why my, to some extent Salesforce bought Slack because Slack is being the capabilities of Slack are basically being given away by Microsoft and teams. So it's not like you're going to recruit all 28 billion out of there. You might get close. You, you know some people think you might not even come even close or half as close to getting to 27, 28 billion. but what you do is have a foundation to bring all those clouds together, allow them to communicate And create the business graph.
1: Yeah, they were pounding. They've been pounding the business. uh, They call the work graph uh, drum for years. I remember hearing Stuart uh, talk about it at the user conference uh, in San Francisco a couple years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. I don't even remember. Um, In terms of um, uh, sort of, you know, what keeps you up at night? What is what are what are Ray's pain points? What what are your fears and and, uh, concerns about where we're headed with respect to technology?
0: Well, I've written a book, it's called Everybody Wants to Rule the World. It's coming out in July and it's published by Harper Collins. And what I'm worried about is, uh, companies don't realize what they're competing against. We spent all this time talking about digital transformation and why digital transformation, you know, was going to disrupt everything. And what we didn't realize on the other end were there are companies that were being much smarter at building new business models and monetization models. And these are the digital giants. What they've done is they've taken their vast network of users and they've been able to figure out how to monetize them along the way, right? Google's a great example of this. They've They're dominant in search. Facebook is dominant in social. Amazon is dominant in commerce. But they're all competing for digital ads. And and people are like, oh, no, these are dominant monopolies over here. No, actually, they're playing the long game and they're playing a different game. They're doing digital monetization. And even though they may be dominant in their business model, that's not what the battle is. We're competing for digital ads. And the publishers and content providers and media companies totally didn't get it they didn't realize that it was the power of the network and that network effect that was driving all this growth. So for example, Google has almost 147 billion in ad revenue. Facebook has almost 70 billion in ad revenue as of 2020. Amazon's cranking up, Amazon's got 12 to 13 billion. The next player is sitting at a billion. And then below that, I mean, there's not a major publisher. So just think about that. That huge gap between number one, number two, number three, and then any player above a billion. That's crazy. And so the question is, how do we build digital giants? How do we get companies that are not digital giants to partner and create the same types of models, aggregate their users and members or even devices so that they can compete with those digital giants? And then what happens when we don't have fair access to those platforms? I mean, on one hand, they built the platforms, they own the platforms, they can figure out who gets to use them. But on the other hand, when there's only one or two players left and you end up with digital giants in a duopoly, now we have some ser- serious questions to ask. Is, is it a public utility? How do you access the platforms? What's a fair way to get to it? And we're gonna get to that point very soon. And that's what keeps me up at night is one, I don't want regulators to mess this up because they don't understand technology. We saw the Senate and congressional hearings where people are like, I'm gonna email from Facebook. They're like, dude, you don't even understand how this thing works, right? So two, that, two, I hope that when we do build these regulations, we think about the economics and business models that are there, like, like what happens? Like right now you got Facebook, versus Australia and, you know, Google and Australia and like, you're like, uh, Facebook's traffic and news is like less than 2%. Like they don't care about the news content. You care about it more because you don't have access to 14 million Australians and 2.7 billion people in the world. So you actually, you should pay for access. So so it's like, it's a messed up argument. I understand why people are fighting it. The digital giants are profitable. They're not paying their fair share. Like, well, you can go a million different ways, but the bottom line is, I mean, the future of journalism is dead, right? If you don't have a business model, you need strong, effective journalism, strong, effective media in every community to make sure that governments are in check, businesses are in check. But. Right, but we've got a business model that's failing and there's this all this hate on digital giants at the moment. And if they make the wrong policies, that is scary to me because we don't want to impact the improvements, the innovations that are there, but we also want to make sure there's fair market access and the ability for companies to compete. This is going to be an interesting thing for the next decade.
1: Ray, I'm excited about your book. Um, final question. You know, we've been on this road for 20 years now. What surprises you most about where we are today?
0: What surprises me the most is how often we make the same mistakes over and over and over again.
1: It's a brand new tech, it's going to
0: work differently. No, your people are still the same. (laughs) I mean, This cracks me up all the time, right? You're just like, uh, let's work on the mission and purpose of the organization first. That brand is so important. Then you can think about monetization models to get into that market. Then you can think about growth. Then you can think about all the other stuff, right? Like we have it inverted all the time. We focus on the wrong things. You got to fix the culture inside an organization first and then figure out what you're trying to accomplish at the business model level, but we always think we can throw a brand technology and make everything work. great. I mean, it's, it's just our industry is littered with this.
1: Ray, if uh, someone wants to get in touch with you or, uh, you know, contact your firm for research, what's the best way to do that?
0: I'm so hard to reach. Don't call me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're easy to find. Uh, you can easily find us at ConstellationR um, on Twitter, www.constellationr.com. Um, you just type my name in Google, probably the first uh, 50 searches. Um, you can probably find anyone on our team uh, by just reaching Constellation Research. We're always happy to get in touch with folks and, uh, you know, we should usually respond to you fairly quickly.
1: Ray Wong, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hey, it's been a pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me
1: thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B lead gen podcast. See you next time.